welcome to the Leaf and Barrel podcast. Uh, my name is Tim. My name is John. And my name is Scott. And welcome to the wonderful world of whiskeys and cigars and some beers every now and then. Let's take a quick round table here. What are we smoking, or what did we smoke tonight? We're trying a different format here. What did we smoke tonight, John? We were smoking a Monte by Monte Cristo. It was a 48 ring gauge, and it was five and a half inches long. Yeah, it was a healthy size, nothing crazy. You know, it's not like a double Aguero. I just, that will always be, that will forever be my reference point, because holy shit. The big digger. Yep. Uh, What about yourself, Scott? What did you drink this evening? Uh, It was a... Hello, Ike Bin Berlinger Weiss. Okay. We also uh, drank uh, Woodford Reserve once again. What were your initial takes on the uh, the cigar here? Um, I really enjoyed the cigar. Um, it was uh, a journey cigar. Um, unlike the other cigars that we had where you had maybe three or four defining flavors, at any one point in time, the Monte by Monte Cristo had about five different flavors going on it at the same time, and it was constantly changing. Uh, when we first lit up, um, I was detecting a little bit of pepper, uh, maybe even hints of cinnamon and chocolate and a buttery cream. And I think that would be the best way to describe the uh, the opening inch of that cigar because afterwards the cinnamon flavor went away uh, and it became more of a chocolate cream cigar throughout yeah, I, th- I think I'd give that about the same uh, definition here. Uh, like you said, the I-, I didn't catch the cinnamon like you did at the get-go, but it was really difficult. The Monty had so many flavors going on, five, six, seven different things at mm-hmm. any given time. It was really difficult to pull up what it was trying to do at any given time. The chocolate was definitely pretty pronounced, and the cream right off the get-go was there. At some point, I think pepper showed up for a little bit, but I, that mm-hmm. wasn't at the very beginning there. No. It was definitely towards the uh, middle portion of the cigar and a little bit towards the end yeah. of the cigar. Um, but Scott actually joined us as well with his uh, cigar. Scott, do you remember what you were smoking out there? Uh, it was the same one I smoked last week. It would have been the... Arturo Fuente, uh, Connecticut cut. So okay, yeah, yeah, it was the same one we had last week okay. on our last recording here. Uh, we're gonna make uh, we're gonna make Scott a cigar smoker yet. So we'll we're, figure it we're out. slowly turning him. I did find that one, and I do enjoy that one. So uh, I've kind of stuck with that one, but I'm gonna try and uh, broaden my horizons here in the the future. You know, and in general, uh, talking about broadening out, you don't you don't have to. You know, we will because that's just kind of the goal of this podcast. But if you find a, you know, you at home, if you find a cigar that you're really partial to, it is okay to just really enjoy and smoke that cigar. You know, we always advocate branching out, but if you find one you like, it's not a problem to just stick to it. Like, if you find something that you really like, I highly recommend buy a box of them. Uh, you can get those online, and you can get them for a lot cheaper than buying an individual stick. Um, and then if you want to try and branch out, uh, try and get a variety pack. Most most cigar places online will give you a variety pack, and they'll let you choose if you want mild cigars, medium cigars, or if you want to go off of a higher rating system that people particularly do. Uh, but that way you have your go-to cigars that you know you like, and if you've, you're feeling adventurous, you got something in the humidor that you can pull out and say, all right, I'll try something new and see if I like it. Yeah, that's that's really good advice for life in general. You know, stick your stick to your guns, but don't be afraid to try a couple things here and there. And the fact that retailers will also allow you to buy a variety pack uh, makes that much easier to do. 
figure out the Oh, I did. Uh So so Scott, you were you were drinking a Berliner Weiss uh and who was that by? Uh it is by a McKellar uh out of Denmark. Okay, okay. So it it's probably not in German then. No, probably not. Yeah. I was going to say, it started off really German, then it's, it's, it's almost sounded Scottish. <laughs> and I, what do people from Denmark speak? Danish. Is it Danish? Oh, that's or probably. Is that Dutch? Is it Dutch? Are we just ignorant? We're probably ignorant. We're Americans, so no, well, well, yeah, we're, we are we're ignorant. ignorant. That's pretty We good. ignorant. Nah, they write. <laughs> um, so how'd you, how'd you feel about the, uh, the beer? It was a really good beer. It, it was a, um. It's another sour mash, and I really enjoy the Berliner Weiss because they have a really nice, tart, and crisp flavor to them. Uh, they're not dry yeah. at all, which is really nice, uh, but the presentation was bad. Uh, the can looks really cheap. and Just so like, Describe I didn't... the can, because I'm pretty sure you can describe the can in less than 15 it was, words. It, probably not 15, but it was a white, white can with circles. cartoon passion fruits on it. I thought they were donuts. Uh, no, those they, were supposed to be the fruit. That was the fruit. I thought they looked like Homer Simpson donuts. No, nope, they right. were supposed to be passion fruits because you can get them in different flavors. You can get them in strawberry and I that's, think lemon. That's how bad it was. Uh, I thought they were donuts. Yeah, but they were cartoon. Yeah, passion so, fruits. So, All Scott, right. just to give the uh, the listeners an idea, how much did you pay for that can of beer? Uh, that can, it was a 16 ounce and I believe I paid four ninety nine for that can of beer. All right. So it's definitely not, I judged the, the can by its cover. No, it was, okay. it was a good beer. Uh, it didn't have the passion fruit flavor that I was expecting out of it. Uh, did you not detect it at all or was it super slight? No, I didn't detect it at all. Oh, okay. And even reading some other people's reviews on it, yeah. they don't taste the, the fruits in it at all. Did you taste any donuts? There was no jelly donut in that beer. It sounds like a whole lot of false advertising. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Although a donut beer, that would be interesting. It does rate decently high. Okay. Uh, I like to look at the untapped rating. Okay. Uh, untapped is just a, it's a website yeah. that some liquor stores go through. That way they can put a rating on their beers. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I believe it rated a 93 which is on the higher end. So it, it, it's a good beer, uh, but it was just... Like as far... Like even outside of the, the not getting the passion fruit or anything, how was it for a, a vice? Like like was it sour? Like was Oh, it, yeah. It like... was, like I said, nice and tart, nice and crisp even. Okay. So like it didn't sit there and linger. Okay. So uh, do you think the passion fruit helped that at all? Like Since you couldn't taste the passion fruit, I don't think no. the fruit helped. Okay. It didn't hurt. It didn't help. It was just... It's on the can. It was unexistent, but, non-existent. Yeah. That's that's kind of a shame because, like, anytime you see a fruit labeled, like, I personally don't like super fruity beer, but if you see something on the can or you see something labeled with it, like, you kind of expect it to show up to the party at least. Somewhere along the line. Even if you're not a fan of the fruit in beer, if you're picking a beer because it has a fruit you like, because passion fruit is delicious, yeah. just to find out that it's not in there. <laughs> it's not existent in the flavoring, yep. And so, kind of so Tim, how delicious is passion fruit? Five out of seven. So you're not that passionate about passion fruit? I hate everything about you. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> so, Tim, yes. we, we've been drinking this whiskey now for three, four cigars that we've uh, been pairing pairing it with. And yeah. I would say to the average listener, uh, we pretty much, oh, if you put it in front of us we and smoke it and 
drink it will probably enjoy it. What did you think of this particular pairing that we had? Because, whoo. So up until now, if you've been keeping score, the Woodford has done really well uh, mixing with any cigar we put in front of it. And I'm not really sure what it is about this cigar, but this is probably the worst pairing we've experienced to this point. Very easily. Even before uh, we started doing this and we were yeah. trying different combinations of different cigars that we haven't even talked about yet, there was nothing positive that I can take away from this whatsoever. That's exactly it. Like every time we took a sip from the whiskey and tried to mix it with the cigar, it muted so many flavors and just kind of turned it into a cigarette. Like mm-hmm. all I got was burnt ash. Like it just... And that's disappointing because yeah. the Woodford Reserve has been so good with so many different cigars. Mm-hmm. It's It's been a fantastic little powerhouse for making cigars taste better or even tasting better itself after a cigar drag. It, and it's, it's really interesting because whenever we've tried this whiskey, it would, you know, unquestionably, it would mute some of the flavors of, of the cigar. But at the same time, it would pull out other flavors that maybe we weren't tasting or they were on the back end and it brought them to the front, which is a really interesting and, and good pairing, and that's what you're looking for. Yep. Uh, with this whiskey, with the first sip, it was like, okay, okay, it really didn't take anything away from the whiskey, uh, but when you uh, took another drag on the cigar, there was no flavors. And again, this was a cigar that we were trying to pull out four or five different flavors at any one point in time, and there was nothing. It was just smoke. Yeah, we went from struggling to try and pin all the different flavors coming out of this thing to that's just burnt. Yep, and and that was, to be fair, that was the uh, first third of the cigar. When we got midway through the cigar, um, it definitely became more chocolatey, more leather, um, really good flavors for that particular cigar. So Tim and I decided, okay, let's try the whiskey again and see if you know, see if it's better. Yeah. And the whiskey profile definitely changed. Uh, it was really drastically. Yes, like, it was almost like drinking straight simple syrup. It yeah. was extremely sugary, and I've I've never had that experience with a whiskey before. Uh, it reminds me of a kid in middle school or high school who wants to drink coffee, and yeah, I'll drink it black, and half of it being sugar. And yeah. that's what that whiskey was. It was just a straight shot of sugar. And then you pull on the cigar and you got like almost like a burnt taste. And it wasn't a good burnt taste. Like the smell of burnt, burnt, burning wood can smell really good. It was like, hmm, that's really sad. And it just, and the whiskey kind of just like clings to your tongue. And it was a good two or three minutes before we started getting any flavors back from that cigar. Yeah, that's exactly it. It usually when you sip on a, on a whiskey and go to a cigar or take a drag and go back to the whiskey, they'll change each other. That that happens. Uh, and we've noticed some whiskeys get a little bit lighter, a little bit sweeter. But this was so far off the deep end in just being basically a simple syrup. It it was just sweet. It wasn't even necessarily like caramel or molasses. Like It just was sweet and gross. It wasn't good. Yeah, so at that point, I think Tim and I at least came to the understanding of this was a horrible pairing. We don't want to do this anymore. Let's just enjoy the cigar. So, Tim, I've never seen you sit so long with whiskey in front of you and you not taking a sip of it before. Yeah, that was shocking. It it's it was a struggle because I, I do enjoy just sipping on whiskey, but it negatively impacted the cigar so much 
that I would have rather sat on the whiskey, finish the cigar, and move to the whiskey independently. They don't play well together. The Woodford and the Monte by Monte Cristo, that's a bad pairing. They they don't play well, and they're both independently good. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've rated the Woodford oh, absolutely. really highly every week we've had I was it. I say, I think probably 7.75 seven, every week. Yeah, yep. I think at one point we gave it an eight for one of the weeks. I know. I think I did. Like, it's yeah. just like, it's a really good whiskey, and the cigar is pretty good. So, Tim, what were your impressions of the last third of the cigar then? So, as as we went through the cigar, something that I noticed was we dug through five or six different flavor profiles, and it was constantly swapping between them as we went through it. I was going to say, it seemed like it was Ferris wheeling for you. Just yeah. one would come in, one would go out, one would come in. That's about the right description for yeah. it. You know, this the the chocolate was kind of an axis for everything else to rotate around. Yes. But the rest of them just kind of showed up and went as they pleased. And uh, personally, like, it was kind of exhausting because there was no you, – you never really grasp onto a flavor and wrote it to the end or wrote mm-hmm. it to the next flavor. It was every time you took a drag, there was something else going on in the cigar. And it, it was tough because yep. you'd find something you'd like. And you never knew if that's what you were going to get the next time. Uh, but as we got to the last third, like, it maintained – it was a very heady smoke in general. Yes. It was a very thick. It was a very smooth. Uh, the cigar was very well constructed. It's hard to pin anything out because every two drags, it was something else. Yeah, I would say as the cigar, um, as it got closer to the end, we talked a little bit before how it had, like, the, a cream taste in the beginning. And that started to come back. Yeah. We were getting a little bit more leathery uh, taste, again, mixing with the chocolate. I remember the cigar having, because I've, sm- I've smoked it before, having a little bit more pepper towards the back end. And I wasn't getting any of that at all, which uh, surprised me. And I have no idea if that was, if the uh, whiskey played anything, played a role in that at all. The other thing that I think was a detriment to us is we were smoking the cigar outside and it was quite windy. So I, um, I definitely want to try and give this cigar another shot, uh, maybe enclosed and let the smoke envelop us because i can only imagine having all of those flavors swirling around in the air not necessarily being blown away by the wind how that would change or how that would impact us yeah i think doing it indoors and also choosing a different whiskey might make a different a huge impact because unfortunately we with our method of doing things having them both at the same time it's hard to tell how much of that cigar was lost Mm -hmm. to the few times we sipped on the whiskey and how much that fundamentally changed our experience of the cigar. Yeah, so, you guys were pretty reluctant to uh, take a sip out of the whiskey after that first time because you guys, you said it was just, it took away everything. Yes. Yeah. But, we, but you did it for the podcast. <laughs> yeah, we hit that last third and it was. So Tim, that last, that last sip of whiskey we had with the last third of the cigar, uh, go ahead and describe that for our audience. I mean, I was I was hesitant because we'd done the first two and it was gross. But, you know, we wanted to get thirds because cigars come in thirds. That's just how they roll. I had to almost prep myself to take that sip because... Took that deep breath. Yeah. <laughs> just like, steal my, steal my body and let's go. You know, I took the sip and it was the same thing, if not slightly worse. It was just incredibly sweet. And I was hoping maybe as we got to the tail end, something would change in the profile of the cigar, Mm -hmm. right? That would maybe work better with the whiskey and we'd be pleasantly surprised. And unfortunately not. It was just sugar and then more burnt. Well, the whiskey profile did change. Uh, There was a lot more caramel. Oh, okay. I see what you're asking, yeah. and, And it wasn't a good, rich caramel that you would go to like a, a chocolate store and, and get like a, a, 
caramel. It, it was the cheapest caramel that you could fill inside of a chocolate egg for for Easter. That's what it was like. So we had a great chocolate yeah. from the cigar, and then you just had this caramel flavor that just stuck to your tongue, and you you couldn't get rid of it for the last third of the cigar. Yeah, no, he was he was right. I I missed what he was asking there, but yeah, the 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 last one was a little bit different, where the others were just very sweet. Like this one had. So I think some of maybe that chocolate and or burnt flavor carried over. It was caramely. Then mm-hmm. it was a very cheap caramel. It, because caramel can be good in a whiskey. Yes. It can be a very good addition. But it was the only flavor and it was cheap caramel. It I can't stress it enough. Don't mix these two. No. It was a, a horrible pairing. Which makes me really sad, but at the same time really glad that we can actually talk about something that we experienced that we did not enjoy. Yeah, because up until this point, we've been really, you know, really lucky with Woodford. Uh, but, you know, we didn't want to give you guys the impression that everything we drink and smoke is great and everything is hunky-dory it, it in has, Cigar it actually, Whiskey Land. It, it actually has been for the most part, but this yeah. one, this one will we will definitely remember as a as a bad pairing. Yeah, these We are, have those good ones. It's like, yeah, let's go back to this because this was really good. This is going to be one of those that you, you chalk up and it's like, all right, I tried it. It's time to move on to something else. Yeah, this is very much going to be a, well, we're going to remember this so that we never encounter it again. So the other thing that I would like to point out, um, I think what Tim and I did while we were smoking our cigars was really smart. Uh, we realized this was a really poor pairing, and the only reason we continue to drink the whiskey, and, and by drinking it, I use that term very liberally, we had two sips, one in the halfway mark and then one at the uh, last third of our cigar was just to see if anything would have changed. Yep. And that was it. Otherwise, I think we both would have just not done anything. We didn't touch any any of the whiskey during the smoke once we realized it would be bad because we knew that it would it would ruin the entire experience. So we tried to kind of steer away from it, generally speaking. During the, the time smoking, I didn't really notice it until basically the last third. But I was having some genuine problems pulling back on my cigar. And as a tip, if you notice that your burn seems even, your cigar is well lit, and it's taking some force to really drag drag on it and get a good mouthful of smoke, take your smoking end and roll it between your fingers with a little bit of pressure because uh, it will loosen up some of the leaf, some of the filler in the back end there, and it will allow you to make, it'll open it up so that you can take a full drag without feeling like you're trying to suck a golf ball through a garden hose. Like, I was really struggling and I thought that I had lighting issues. But once I had done that, it really opened up the cigar so that dragging it wasn't such a chore. And Tim, by the smoking end, you mean the foot of the cigar, not the part that's lit. You don't want to try and you're right. We don't we don't <laughs> want to touch the uh, the hot part of the cigar. It's I it's I tr- didn't know the name for it, but yes, yeah, it's the foot. foot. <laughs> I, I could just imagine someone you know the smoking the end is at the end. That's the lit the lit end. Oh, that's really hot. Why would I ever do this? Yeah, no, no, no absolutely. Grab it by the foot. Uh, give it a little bit of pressure and kind of roll it back and forth a little bit because it'll loosen up. Uh, it'll loosen leaves. up the filler and it'll allow you to to pull back without without feeling like you're gonna pull a lung out. Yeah, and uh, and always start off with a little bit of pressure. You can always add more. Yeah. Um, if you go too hard, you're going to end up cracking your cigar, and then you'll have a great time drawing the smoke because it's coming out of everywhere and you've just ruined your cigar. So. Uh, Tim, it's a great tip, but patience is key for doing something like that. Yeah, be gentle. Take your time. Don't go full bore on it. Just a little bit. Roll it around. Give it a test. If it's not good enough, roll it around. Give it a little test. Take your time. It's not a race. Mm -hmm. You're just trying to make it the best smoke you can for yourself. Absolutely. 
So, Scott, this has been your third time smoking the Arturo Frente. Is that correct? You are correct. All right. So, have you pulled any new flavors out of it, or is it just the same consistent smoke? Or what is it that has drawn you and, and gotten someone who doesn't really smoke cigars to, hey, I really enjoy this, and I'm actually going to go out and buy some of these on my own now? So, how'd you, how did you make that leap, and how did you make that jump? Uh, the flavors actually were consistent as far as what flavors were there from the last time I smoked it. But it seemed like this time they came out in a different order. Uh, last week, it seemed like I got that uh, that nut flavor initially right off the bat. And then a little later on, I got a little bit of the leather. And then towards the end of it, the nut came back. This time, right off the bat, I got the leather. The nut wasn't even there at first. And then the nut came there and the leather went back away because, of course, the leather is kind of a background flavor for the most part. And then in the middle, I still got that that little tinge of pepper. Yep, yep, that's about right. But not a lot, just a little bit to say, hey, I'm there. And then, again, it went away at the end, which was nice because I'm not a fan of pepper. How'd the actual, uh, how'd the, the smoking experience, how'd the burn go for you this time? Oh, it was nice, even burn. I didn't have any issues with tunneling or anything like that or even uh, an uneven burn. It burned quite nicely all the way around. It was just, it's solid. It's a very well-made cigar. Arturo seldom fucks up. <laughs> no. And as much as we've been talking about how we've had an unpleasant experience with our Monte by Monte Cristo and the whiskey, both Tim, you and I experienced the, the same thing. We had a smooth, even, consistent draw once we figured out your foot problem that you had. Um, but none of us had an issue with canoeing or tunneling or anything like that. No, uh, it and a- it was a fairly windy night. Yeah. Smoking a cigar in the wind is probably one of the most challenging things that you're going to experience, especially if you're just constantly sitting down. Because if you're not rotating your cigar as you're smoking it, you're going to realize, why is only half of my cigar burning and the other half is not? And that's yeah. because of the way that the wind is going to be playing with the cigar. After all, we are talking about lighting something on fire and the wind will play a factor with that. So the fact that we were able to both smoke, you know, these Monte Cristos and the Arturo Fuentes in the wind and not have any problems speaks volume to the construction of these cigars. Yeah, it it was really impressive outside of that foot issue I had and that's not a problem with the construction at all. That's just I didn't realize what I needed to do until the last third. That's on me. I'm a little inexperienced with that kind of stuff. But the the core construction like it burned smooth, it burned steady. It burned even. It was very well put together. The ash took care of itself. It never felt like the ash was just going to fly off or anything like that. You know, it was a very nice, compact, striated ash like you're kind of looking for anytime you smoke a cigar. Mm-hmm. And that's something to note about ashes is as you're smoking them down, you should kind of see like layers like... Across that, the cigar. Yeah, across the cigar that kind of burn down towards your direction and it should just look like the layers of a rock like or or think of it like the, as a ring of a tree except kind yeah. of like the inverse yep yeah you just you should see several layers and they nice and tight packing like as they burn down that shouldn't like bloom out or anything like that and you'll that's a good indicator of a solid construction and that even with the wind doing what it was doing all the way down no problems at all absolutely so do we have any world problems that we need to solve today The Supreme Court finally has nine members again, so we can start hearing cases because that went through without any trials or tribulations. It was a democratic process at work. It was was amazing to see both Republicans and Democrats 
coming together. That's and, and agree on something. You that, know? <laughs> yeah, that's that's what happened, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, good. You know, nothing to talk about there. Uh, I do actually have a question on that, and maybe you're a little more up to date on this, John. Uh, but during the vote uh, for Kavanaugh, the vote ended up being fifty forty eight. Yes. Why? Uh, I that, believe that for those of us that are a little bit slower at math, that means two people didn't vote. Yep, they basically abstained because they realized their their vote wasn't going to matter, and they played a politics game of, well, I didn't vote for this person. Yes, I didn't vote for them. So does that no. mean it was one on each side? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes, and um, sadly, with the confirmation of Neil Gorchak, uh, it was the nomination that Trump put forward, where the Democrats were extremely upset because the Republicans didn't allow Obama to bring forth his candidate because yeah. he only had a year left in office, uh, never mind the fact that it's 25% of his job. And I don't think any of us listening could get away with only doing 75% of their job and say they actually did a good job of it. Unprecedented obstruction. Yes. No, no, no. And I don't even mean for Obama's. I'm talking for Gorsuch and Kavanaugh. Unprecedented obstruction. Nobody has ever done this to a sitting president to make them wait so long to put their Supreme Court pick into the nomination circles. Nobody. This was unheard of. And the fact that the Democrats would bring this process so low for, to just to meet their own ends is some of the craziest shit I have ever seen in my life. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Tim, you said that with a straight face. And I, I feel sorry for Scott because he, he's, he's just like, I think Tim's actually telling the truth. I, I thought and he was being serious there for a minute. <laughs> oh, uh, I no. won't lie. It was a struggle to talk like that. Oh, man. Uh, that was something. I, I heard that line from an actual senator about the Gorsuch, Gorsuch mm-hmm. uh, nomination. Yeah. One of the senators literally said, this has been unprecedented obstruction. And the very first thing that ran through my mind is, didn't you motherfuckers block a, pr- uh, uh, a president's uh, vote they, for a year? They wouldn't even... Uh, set forth the start the process to even give him a chance yeah. to say what he had and, and and sadly his name escapes me right now but he's the type of justice that you would want uh he straddles the line does he lean left more than right yeah and you would expect that from someone from, but he was a bit of an originalist wasn't he he was but yeah. he ten- if, and that's not bad i just like that's an indicator of kind of how he views his politics right he's but, originalist so anytime that you have a president nominate a judge they're going to lean the way of the party a little bit but it wasn't extreme left and anytime that you're dealing with the supreme court you don't want to deal with extremists either on the left or the right you want to have them look at the law and say is this constitutional yes or no because that is their job they shouldn't be creating new laws from the bench um the man that was obstructed was merrick garland thank you yep that that sounds right yeah that was that was the guy that they just wouldn't sit down to even bother talking about so because uh the democrats were so mad about what had happened in the past and honestly who can blame them um, for being upset uh they basically were going to refuse to uh vote yes for whoever was going to be nominated first just as a stance as and as a precedent um what happened and typically for a uh sitting uh including someone in the Supreme Court you need more than a simple majority vote because the Supreme Court setting is a lifetime appointment yep so what the republicans have done they did they used the nuclear option which is basically it is now a simple majority and because they did that for one Supreme Court judge, no longer will you ever have 
uh, the, both sides, whether it's Republicans or Democrats, are working together, and it's going to be who controls the Senate, and that person will get in. And they use the exact same thing now uh, with Kavanaugh, when they just needed a simple 50, uh, 50 majority. Um, in fact, Pence was actually there to hold the vote, because they were expecting that he needed to be a tiebreaker, uh, but his vote wasn't needed. But um, it pains me to say this, that the Republican Party has now politicized the Supreme Court. And it started back when Obama was in office and it has continued to this day. And no one uh, from the Republican Party has wanted to offer an olive branch to try and make things right and get back to the way that the system was intended to be. Yeah. We should never be using a nuclear option for a lifetime appointment. I don't care what party is involved. A simple majorities probably shouldn't be the answer. No. Uh, did you guys hear about Banksy? Uh, this weekend is that the artist yeah yes i have not heard anything. oh i love when i i saw this story i i laughed out loud and it was great tim yeah. fill us in uh, it was fucking fantastic uh one of his art pieces uh i think it's a uh, girl with red balloon i believe is what it's called yes uh, and i just love this because it, it's just a big middle finger to all the artsy fartsy people out there yep so so banksy's art actually is really widely renowned and he's kind of a He's a political artist, and he does all of his art is some kind of political statement. Uh, and he's done some really like kind of like he's like an art terrorist almost. Uh, but this girl with the red balloon is a super famous Banksy piece. It's just a girl. It's a he does a lot of stencil work. Uh, it's just a stencil of a girl holding a red balloon in the shape of a heart, and it just sold at Sotheby's auction. Sotheby's Sotheby's auction house for one point four million. And the moment the gavel hit the fucking the podium. A hidden shredder built into the frame for the art piece turned on and, and shredded, shredded it. the art. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. They sold it. Sold. As the picture is lowered into the shredder. And you see all these art people. <gasps> oh, my gosh. What? You, you can actually watch the video live of the uh, art being shredded. Wow. It was. Yep. That's, brilliant. That's kind of funny. Yeah. See, he was he was watching it, and the minute he posted, it, he actually threw something to his Instagram, and the text was going, going, gone, and then the shredder starts, and it's, <laughs> and it's just one point four million dollars. Uh, he posted it along with a quote from Picasso: "The urge to destroy is also a creative urge." And it's just like, "Fuck you guys, I'm <laughs> Banksy." <laughs> and he, he, he explained that he built the shredder into the frame from day one in case it was ever sold at auction. He had this planned from the get-go. If that piece was ever sold at auction, that it would destroy itself. Nice. Holy man. That's yep. kind of funny. What a rebel. Yeah, I, I love that, that when I saw that. that destruction of property? I'm not sure how that works. So Because also, it was already... To be fair, he's on a bunch of wanted lists because he regularly breaks into museums and spray paints their walls. I mean, he he's actually he just to just do graffiti in general. He like, has, yeah. he has destroyed paintings yep. because he will paint on them. So the, like, he's just he's a wanted man. So uh, this time he just actually destroyed his own work instead of someone else's. But still, it was yeah, really nice. fucking clever. Yep. I just I saw that and I was like, Banksy, I love you. So speaking of things getting shredded, uh, did you hear about the family that was trying to? Uh, it was uh, football tickets. And their friends bought uh, the yes! tickets for them, and they were slowly going to be paying them back. And they've been saving the money, and they were sh- saving it in cash. Uh, and they had all the cash saved saved up in an envelope. And the parents went to go uh, get the cash, and they couldn't find it. 
and they they were looking all over the place and they couldn't find it. They eventually found it in their shredder bin. Their two-year-old was doing the same thing mom and dad does, putting stuff in the shredder and shredding it. Their two-year-old shredded about $1,000 worth of cash inside of their bin. The good news is they contacted the IRS and they said, you know, to give us, you know, mail them out all the snibbles, basically, of the cash. And in about a year or so, they'll be able to get their money back. I suppose after they piece it all back together. There's actually a division. I don't know if it's of the IRS, but there is a division for money that you can just send them destroyed bills. bills, Mm -hmm. Whether it's a brick of waterlogged bills or it's I believe that's actually the Secret Service because they're in charge of that. It it could be, yeah. But like basically if there's some remains of bills, you can send it there. They will try to piece what they can't. I believe you have to have two-thirds of the bill. Yes. I don't know what the exact rules are. Because you have to have a full serial number. Yep. Um, There's a couple other things. I don't want to give any... I don't know. Like, I don't uh, know what the exacts are. I know the reason behind the two-thirds is so that you can't just, like, rip a bill into two separate pieces, send them out at different times by two different people, and then get double the money. But then the idea that they're not logging those serial numbers anyways is kind of like... But but still, that's why they do the two-thirds. Yeah, so, like, I, I don't know what the exact rules are, but, yeah, you send them in, and... They take a while because it's it's that that staff is like ten people. It's just not many, uh, and they do something like a million dollars worth of recoveries every year. And the whole process is like, here's a brick of wadded, waterlogged bills. We have to try and dry them and peel them off and recover as much as we can. Good luck, because it's shredded so cleanly. They should probably be able to get all of it back, but it is a year out now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the other interesting story that I saw and I thought would be near to near and dear to Tim's heart was the uh, apparently the Rolls Royce of whiskeys and something that you will never ever hear us talking about or tasting or comparing with a cigar. You don't no. know that it just sold at auction in Scotland for one point one million dollars. Uh, what kind of whiskey is it? It is a uh, Macallan Macallan of Valero Adami, nineteen twenty six. I believe there are only like 10 bottles ever made. It was bought for $1.1 million and it will never be drank because they're just collector's items. They just sit there and gather value, and it is one of the most heartbreaking things to hear. I mean, when I win $400 million, Tim, I'll buy you that bottle. We'll sit back and drink it together. <laughs> uh, it probably will taste like shit. That's fine. I mean, honestly, the... J- How many times a... in your life are you going to be able to say that you oh. drink a $1.2 million bottle of whiskey? And I mean, you're right. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that, I, I saw that. I saw that article and I was like, a $1.1 million bottle of whiskey? And you yeah, might be able to say that you're the only person that has drank said $1.2 million uh, bottle of whiskey. Maybe not, because like I said, I think there were only 10 bottles made uh, and we currently know where either four or five of them are. Uh, the remainders are the remainders are assumed destroyed, but there's a distinct possibility that one or two of them got drank. Well, I mean, if they remain in 1920, those well, people might not even be alive. Well, that's just it. Yeah, that's what I meant. You might yeah. be the only person alive. Yeah, to be able to say that you drank one. I mean, I drink it. I don't care. <laughs> I want to know because it was. Yeah, it's it was 1926. It just it is a ridiculously rare bottle of whiskey. Just remember, I just need to win that 400 million dollar Powerball. Easy shit. Uh, so reviewing next week. Right, right, right. <laughs> Please support us on Patreon <laughs> so we can afford $1.1 million like, of whiskey. We're fucking begging you. Like, we'll set up a $1 million bracket, and if you just want to pay that, that'd be great. <laughs> um, 
What about uh, any any sports news this week, Scott? The Brewers are in the playoffs, which is exciting for yeah, me. Yeah, they are. Yeah, Milwaukee actually does have a baseball team. They're yep. professionals. And now they just swept the Colorado Rockies as of tonight, which was really exciting. I'm not going to talk about my Red Sox. So that puts you guys up into the American League uh, National League. National League. Con- uh, the, the NLCS. Yeah, you're in the actual championship championship, championship right series. Yeah. So they win the next round, and they're off to the World Series. Yeah. Yep. Good. Wisconsinites need another reason to drink. I mean, no, we don't. as bad as the Packers <laughs> are doing this year, <laughs> the, they just got killed by the Yeah, they just tonight. lost, didn't they? No, yeah. well, they, got, they, got, they lost by eight. Uh, so that puts them 2-2-1? Two, two, and one? 31. Yeah. They lost by eight. 17? No, they scored again. They lost by eight. So, so they scored in trash time? Yeah. yeah. All right. So they got killed. Yeah. I mean, uh, the Packers Trash actually had what was it more total yards than the Lions? Well, yeah, they moved it up and down the field like they but they've they just been turn, doing for the past two years, but they don't put it in the end zone anymore. They turned the ball over like mm-hmm. four or five times, and Ooh. Mason Crosby missed four field goals today. To actual, be fair, one of them was a fifty-three yarder. Actual uh, turnovers. Yeah. Yeah. Holy fuck! Yeah, he missed yep. four field goals. So he's. Are we taking the return of Mason, Mason Crossbar? Crossbar? That's what I called him all day today. <laughs> but he did only hit the uprights I, once. I love that nickname because he had one bad year. And people like, Mason fucking Crossbar, time to get rid Like, bitch, he's your kicker. Yeah, get nobody rid of him. scored as many points as him. Get off his back. Right. So it's coming back, huh? Mason Crossbar? It might be. I can feel it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, another exciting news. The Bills have also won. And uh, the Browns won. How did the Raiders do? The Raiders lost, boys. Oh, uh, man. Yes. That's, that why, they paid, it, that's it, why they paid Gruden over $10 million bucks so he can coach a losing team. It feels a little weird to be rooting for somebody's loss, but, man, it feels good to be winning that bet. <laughs> yep. So that puts uh, Tim one game ahead of me and a game and a half ahead of John, which was almost two full games ahead of John yeah. because the Browns – Kicked that last second field goal in overtime. Yeah. We, we almost had another tie. It was almost a second tie tonight. Holy shit! Although I'm feeling I'm feeling okay because I said the Browns would win three games. So two and a half, two and a half of the way games there, buddy. <laughs> I'm almost there. I'm almost yeah, there. You're another half win away. Uh, um, that just means they're going to have worse draft picks and they're just going to go back down to the bottom. Sadly. So I see that you've uh, you got your your next beer uh, pretty well done for. Uh, what was the second beer you had today, Scott? Uh, it's an Odd Side Ales King of Tarts. It is a okay. sour wheat beer with apricots. All right. And who? Wh- who's the maker? Uh, Odd Side Ales. Odd Side. And who are they? Where are they from? Uh, they are from Michigan. Oh, okay. So that's actually fairly local. Yep. Local, yep. quote unquote. Yeah, Midwest. Yeah. How is it? Because it's, uh, it's a sour as well, right? Yeah, it was so far the King of Tarts, that immediate taste. I puckered right up, which I like. I like the sour taste. And that's that's pretty extreme, even for a sour beer. Like, sour beers don't make you pucker. Mm-hmm. They're tart. They're tangy on the, on, the, on the tongue. But very rarely do they make you, like, actually, ooh. Yeah, and, that. Ooh. Yeah, that had some tart to it. Yeah, it's a, it's a wheat beer. So it's got the sediments, and it had a lot of sediments. Yeah, just that looking be, at it, you can't see through this beer. When it was sitting on the shelf in in... The liquor store. It was your regular, you know, clear beer. Uh, you could see right through it. And I picked it up and I held it up to the light. And there was an eighth of an inch of sediment on the bottom. Yeah. 
So like it took a bit to actually work it off the bottom. And then after I got it all mixed in, the beer went from clear to just, you can't see through it. Yeah. So yeah, how'd you rate it? It's different. Cause like mm-hmm. it didn't have that, uh, that like lactic acid tart that most sour beers do. It was more of a like fruity tart. Citric acid? No. I don't know that I've ever had lactic acid. Isn't that the shit that builds up in your muscles? Yes. yes. That's why I don't work out. It hurts. <laughs> There's several reasons why I don't work out. Well, One. Reason number two is I'm lazy. Yeah. Uh, but it doesn't have that, like, it's hard to describe. It's it's a totally different kind of tart than what regular sour beers are. Okay. But it's good. It's nice and tart. All right. Uh, with the apricot added, it does have a nice fruity aftertaste. It's it's pleasant, though. What would you give it? The flavor itself, I don't think I'm 100% sold on. As far as tart goes, I really like the tartness of it. Yeah. Uh, the apricot is a little too sweet for me. Okay. It's kind of giving me a little bit of gut rottiness. That's rough. But that's the sweetness. My stomach doesn't do well with tart. Yeah. Do, they, um, do they make it with uh, different fruit flavors? Uh, I haven't been able to find anything on that just okay. yet. But uh, I would probably rate it a 6.5 overall. Okay, that's that's pretty decent. That's yeah. pretty decent. That's a high quality. What about the uh, uh, the McKellar, McMiller, MacMiller, <laughs> TJ Mac? The um, German beer I that mean, we found out was not German. Yeah, your your Dutch beer. <laughs> <laughs> Dutch, not Deutsch. Yeah, that one was a good beer. I okay. I liked that one. Uh, I would rate that probably similar to like a a Monk's Ale, a Monk's Cafe. Okay. Um. And I'd probably go closer to a 7.5, maybe an 8. All right. It was good. It didn't have the fruitiness I expected of it. Okay. The presentation was bad. but So I came into it thinking it was going to be a shit-ass beer. Yeah. Because unfortunately, I mean, presentation just matters. Yep. Uh, And even with this this King of Tarts, like, the presentation, like, I get it, King of Tarts, King of Hearts, it's got a playing card on it. At least it's in a glass bottle. (sighs) Yeah, the... Like that just that's it makes a difference. Was in a can. Yeah. But yeah, the presentation was bad on, on that uh that Berlinger Weiss. But even despite that, you the solid eight. Oh yeah, it was it was a good beer. Right. I liked it. That's good to know. That's good uh to know. not a super high A B V. That's not bad though. I think it was a a three five. That's kinda low even. Uh mm-hmm. and the King of Tarts I think said was a five five. Alright, that's it's more in line. A little higher. Yeah. I mean the King of Tarts though, kind of an expensive beer. Yeah. It uh for a let's see, what is this? Sixteen ounce? It kinda looks like it's twenty, but it is a one pint and point nine fluid ounces. But anyways, how much was it? Uh it was ten dollars for this one bottle of beer. Oh, for one a little over a pint? Yeah. Yeah. For something oh. you're not drinking at the bar. Oh, you probably can't find it at a bar. Bucks at a bar, right? Uh, but yeah, you're not. This is one of those sit down, maybe after cutting the lawn kind of things. You know, you're just you're sitting down, you're relaxing and having a beer. All right. You're not drinking these to get hammered. And it's too expensive to get fucking drunk off that. That's I, right. I mean, after I win the four hundred million, maybe. Well, that's true. That's true. Uh, so, what about? Uh, John, let's move on to the uh, let's move on to the cigar and uh, the pairing. Sure, let's get an actual rating here so that our uh, our listeners have an idea about where it sits. Yeah. Um. Good news is 
we still have another Monte Bay Monte Cristo to smoke. Um, so I, I almost want to hold off uh, judgment on that cigar because the pairing was just so bad. So let's do that first. Um, if I have to give it a number, I'd, I'd give it a one just because zero sounds like we've never rated it before. Um, it destroyed the flavor of the cigar. It destroyed the flavor of the whiskey. I honestly can't think of anything positive to come out of the pairing at all. Um, because of that and how it destroyed the flavor of the cigar, um, flavor-wise, I would say it would be about a five. It was average because we we lost the flavor profile whenever we wanted to take a sip of the whiskey. Um, I'd bump it up to a six, however, just because the construction and the, bo- the burn um, and how well it smoked was all there. So I have a really hard time rating the cigar by itself so i would say between a five and a six and a a 5.5 and that just it seems low because i've smoked the cigar before and i've I've really enjoyed it but with the way that we did it tonight i have no problem giving it a 5.5 and the pairing a one do not again do not mix these two together and tim what about you uh i just have to agree with you you know we've had the woodford reserve we rate it really highly it's a fantastic whiskey you know it's a seven it's an eight it's light it's floral. It's a really strong whiskey to pair with most things. Unfortunately, the Monte by Monte Cristo doesn't fit in that most things category. This is solidly a one in a pairing. This is the worst thing that we've done to a cigar or a whiskey in all the time that we've been doing this. They just don't play well together. They fight one another. They hurt one another in the worst ways. It is, this is not good. I recommend you strongly to steer away from putting these two together. Either one of these individually, sure, go for it. As John said, it does make the cigar kind of tough to rate because the few sips we did really had a very strong negative impact on how the cigar developed and tasted. I personally feel like the Monte is almost a bit pretentious. There are so many flavors going on at any time. Even from the very initial draw, there were four, five, six flavors we were trying to pull different things out of. And outside of the chocolate, they were constantly moving around. And that makes it a wonderful journey, right? There's a lot going on there, but it makes it a really tough cigar to be like, I like these things in it, and it does these things really well. Because it just travels around all these different flavors really quickly. Uh, With the construction and everything, I have to rate it a pretty solid 6. I do wonder if having a better pairing that won't harm it will improve that. Uh... But I do know that personally, I'm not going to probably rate it crazy high because it's there's too much. It is, it is an incredibly dense cigar. There are so many different things happening at any given time that it's hard to really pick something that you like and pull it out of it. If you're about the journey and you don't want to sit with a single flavor for an hour, this is a cigar for you. This is just where you want to be. I personally am struggling with that because it's just you can't settle into anything. So I would have to give the cigar by itself a solid six, the pairing a solid one, and maybe even just a weak one because it could be worse. <laughs> yeah, if we want to go less than one, I'll give it a point one. If we want to go get into the decimal system, I, I would rate this as low as possible. Yeah, um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't even recommend this to someone I hate. You know, I I actually just don't even have a problem giving this a zero. Like okay. I I think that that's fine because I don't know how many zeros we're ever going to hand out. This was actually just the worst thing I've ever experienced out of a cigar and whiskey. So, yeah. Tim, uh, one important thing that we didn't really talk about was with the cigar overall, um, they rate the flavor profile of you know a mild, mild, medium, 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 full, and full-bodied. Yeah. 
where would you put this cigar? I personally, um, I've seen a couple different ratings for this cigar. They all hover between the medium and medium full. Um, I personally think that it is, for the most part, a medium cigar. It gets a little heavier towards the end, but I, I, I really hesitate at putting it into that medium full category. Yeah, I'm right there with you. This feels like a medium cigar. Uh, towards the last inch, two inches, it starts to develop some heaviness to it where it starts to be a little more intense. And that's a nice up change in the, the profile, but I don't think it ever crosses the barrier into being a medium full, even if that was the only portion you were talking about. Mm-hmm. I just don't think it's quite enough to be like, yeah, this is a medium full. It's not even close to being full, but it is a very, it's a, it's a very strong medium, but it doesn't ever quite cross that barrier for me to be to think of it in the realms of any other full cigar. Cool, works for me. Is that everything? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ratings? Yeah. yeah. I'll honestly say though, that look on your face when you guys paired that the first time—it was that, not pleasant. That was the look on my face when I tried the Dogfish Head Ale. Yeah, that sounds right. It was that look on your face was immediately disgust. And like you said, it's not because either one is bad, but together. Yeah, you know, there's a reason I gave the cigar above a ha- above a five. It's a solid mm-hmm. cigar, uh, and the whiskey obviously is a seven or an eight. We've every gone week over out, that three times. Every week, it's the same thing. Yep. And together, it's so bad. Yep. It's <laughs> not good. So Tim, if people want to disagree with us, because they've. They've had this combination, and they really enjoyed it, and they want to tell us how wrong we are. Where can they reach us at? If they want to disagree with us about this rating, they can go jump off a fucking bridge. I was going to say 1-800-KISS-MY-ASS, but... But if you want to give a more PC answer, (laughs) (laughs) uh, you can always reach us at Twitter, or on Twitter, at Leaf Leaf Barrel Pod. You can catch us on Patreon, on Facebook, on Instagram, at Leaf and Barrel Podcast. You can also always email us, at leafandbarrelpodcast at gmail.com. I can promise we will read everything that you send us. I can't promise that we respond to it all, but we are always looking for suggestions, comments, concerns, uh, suggestions, uh, requests, anything. Hit us up. We'll figure it out. Um, we do also want to throw a shout-out. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we do also want to throw a shout-out to our music intro and outro from Arn Hughesby. It is the Warm Duck Shuffle. Check that man out wherever you can find him. Pay him. He does great work. Well, this has been the Leaf and Barrel Podcast. My name is Tim. My name is John. And my name is Scott. Thanks for joining us. (laughs) 